privilege uh, to be able to open up God's word and to to hear from our God. That is most important. Uh, you're not here today because you need to hear from me. You don't want to hear from me, uh, but we do need to hear from the Lord. And as Travis prayed, that is certainly the prayer of my heart that you would hear, that we would hear, that I would hear the voice of our Lord speaking directly to our hearts this day. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark. We are jumping back into our series here in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 13 today. Mark chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third, Matthew, Mark, second. Numbers are hard for me. Second book of the New Testament, uh, the words will also be up on the screen here. Uh, as you're turning there, we do have, uh, especially if perhaps maybe you're just picking it up or maybe you're newer with us at GCF, we have these uh, handy little books. They're, uh, it's got Mark written here, uh, all in here, and then uh, space to take notes. And so these are in our bookstore there. I'm looking at it, $6. Uh, don't let that freak you out. Uh, just if you want one and you're going to use it, just take it. I'll probably get in trouble from Bridget later, but that's okay. No, I got a thumbs up. I'm just teasing. Bridge is very gracious, but we do. This is a handy way just to take notes, and you can use this throughout your Mark series. So those are in the back, uh, and you can certainly pick one up. If you're able to, please stand as I read now. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray once again. I am keenly aware of uh, my great need uh, this morning uh, for the Lord to uh, move and work. So let me pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, well, particularly on this day, on September the 11th, we are reminded that even in the midst of the darkest of evils, you remain a God of grace, of truth, and of light. And Lord, the, the truth is, for, for most of us here, this, this is a sad day. It's a painful day in American history. But for others, this is a day of immense personal grief and anguish as they consider and are reminded of the loss of loved ones or family members or perhaps close friends. God, have mercy on, on those who are grieving today. Comfort them, counsel their souls. Would you do the same for us as well? Though this world is so many ways teeming with evil, you, O oh God, are still good. You are still sovereign. You, you still delight to make your glorious plan of redemption known in every corner of the globe. You still are calling boys and girls and men and women to you 
to repent of their sins and to turn to trust in you and to find hope far beyond anything in this life. And we still exist, O God, to praise you, to honor you, to treasure you. So bless us now, Lord, as we turn to your word. Help us to know what you want us to know, to believe what you want us to believe, and then to do what you want us to do. Open our ears to hear your voice speaking to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how would you like to go on a mission trip? And what if that mission trip was actually led by Jesus himself? I see some of you are thinking your spidey sense is kicking in. And you're thinking, that sounds like a trick question. Where's he going with that? Well, what if Jesus is the one leading you? He's guiding you. He's showing and telling you what to take, what not to take, what needs to be done on this trip. And no doubt many of you have been on maybe such a trip, on a mission trip at some point in your life, maybe as a teenager, uh, perhaps as a college or university student. Maybe you were blessed to serve as a chaperone, as a youth leader. And you, you kind of know what happens on these sorts of things, on mission trips. Usually there's a whole lot of enthusiasm and excitement. Where are we going? And, and, and there's a lot of planning and preparation that takes place. Perhaps you travel to a place that you've never, ever been. You eat food that you may never eat again. You get very little sleep and perhaps sleep in places that you never want to sleep in again. But you go and you serve and you minister in the name of Jesus and you are a blessing to those you come in contact with. And you come back probably pretty tired, maybe weary, maybe even exhausted. But you come back with a greater vision for the gospel of grace and the, the good that God is doing. And you're also aware then of the great spiritual need around you. Whatever your experience with that kind of mission trip was... It's safe to say none of us have ever been on a mission trip that was led by Jesus in the flesh. And I know your, your good Trinitarian theology is kicking in too. Well, what about through the agency of the Holy Spirit, the, the triune God? I mean, obviously, the, who is in you is greater than, you know, the, of course, Jesus is with you and is leading all the time. But I simply mean, practically none of us have ever been on a mission trip led directly by Jesus, where Jesus in the flesh looked at you, gave you instructions, and then sent you out. The next best thing to that to actually having Jesus in the flesh as your mission trip leader, well, is to learn from people who have. And these people would be the disciples that we read about here in Mark chapter 6. Jesus sends them out on a mission trip. He sends them out in mission for him. And so there is a whole lot that we can learn from Jesus about what it means to be sent out on a mission in ministry for him. Now, I know it's been several months since we've uh, rubbed our noses here in the Gospel of Mark uh, from our sermon series in the summer on the Psalms. So let's uh, shake off the summer from our brains just a little bit 
And I want to make sure that we're on the same page. So by way of review, the Gospel of Mark was written uh, somewhere in the late 50s, maybe the early 60s AD. Most biblical scholars agree that Mark was the earliest Gospel account that was written and recorded. Uh, Mark, John Mark is his formal name. He was a close friend of Peter's. And he took very copious notes of uh, and recorded much of what Peter described to him and told him about this Jesus. So even though Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, well, we really do have the next best thing. Because Mark is the written record of an eyewitness account of someone, Peter, who talked and walked with Jesus and described it all for him. He saw Jesus in action. And action is, in fact, key in the Gospel of Mark. You may remember if you were here from previous sermons, Mark doesn't give us a biography that's all neatly arranged in chronological order. Sometimes you're reading the Gospel of Mark and you think, I'd like a period. He kind of has commas because everything happens over and over. It's just action. It's constant action. So Mark shows us a Jesus that is on the move, a Jesus that is ministering here, and then he goes over here, and then he says this to this woman, and then and it just keeps going. So it's like this ministry clips of Jesus over and over. It's that, that rolling slideshow of Jesus. That's what really Mark gives us. And so over the first five-plus chapters here, we have seen, Jesus being baptized, Jesus battling the devil, healing the sick, casting out demons, answering tough questions, appointing 12 guys to be his disciples, calming a violent storm, miraculously curing two women. It's like we're seeing Jesus in real time here. What we're also seeing is that not everyone is happy with Jesus. Certainly his popularity has been increasing here. The crowds are pressing in. Everybody has questions. They're clamoring, trying to get a piece of Jesus, trying to get in touch with him. But as his popularity is increasing, so too is the opposition to Jesus. He's a real threat, especially to the religious establishment of the day. Many in the crowd are, are trying to figure out, who, who is this Jesus? Is he the long-awaited Messiah? Is he the true king? Or is he just another in a long line of first-century religious wingnuts? Jesus is really not interested in drawing a crowd to him. He's interested in making disciples and sending them out in mission and in ministry. And so making and forming disciples, that's what we find Jesus doing here in Mark chapter 6. The immediate context here, you can look with me in your Bibles, verses 1 through 6 there. Jesus has just been rejected by people who we would think would really appreciate him. People who knew him, people he grew up with, people in his hometown. And so what does Jesus do next? Well, he doesn't cower in the corner. He doesn't use that as a time to reevaluate ministry. Maybe we've got to do something. Maybe we've got to change something. No, Jesus turns around then and sends his disciples out in mission and ministry for him. Jesus calls them, and then he sends them out, and here we go, the first official mission trip for these guys to do the work of the ministry directed by Jesus himself. Now, I'm using this morning the words ministry and mission 
really interchangeably. So when we think about mission and ministry, I'm not only thinking about uh, a two-week short-term mission trip to Mexico, and I'm not only thinking about leading a Bible study or serving as a greeter or be part of a home group or ministering to suffering people. Certainly, it involves all of those things, but I'm using the words ministry and mission really in the broadest sense possible. So ministry is not just what paid vocational pastors do. Ministry is what every Christian is called to do. And mission is not just what happens somewhere in a distant land and every now and again we hear of a report. It's what every Christian is called to, to use their gifts and talents and abilities in the service of Christ our King. Now some of you might hear that and and you were thinking, wow, this is great. I was looking forward to this sermon. Just tell me when and where. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Let's go. And others of you may uh, be super grateful, thankful that Jesus indeed has saved you. And you're also super thankful for those really enthusiastic people around you who have got their bags packed and they're ready to go. But you're just still trying to figure out, whoa, hold on. Whoa, I'm not exactly sure where that, where I might fit in. And especially if perhaps you are newer uh, here at GCF. Uh, you may be asking questions like that. What, what does ministry and mission, what is giving up all for Christ, what does that actually look like right now in my own life, in this season of my life? What might that look like right here at GCF? Now, I think that's where our passage here in Mark is really, really helpful. It's instructive because it orients us, brothers and sisters, really to the essence of Christian ministry and mission. And so what I want to do is to draw out really five principles uh, from these few verses here uh, that will, will help us understand our mission, that will, will, will kind of give us a, a way forward, a way to walk as we better understand what Jesus has really called us to and what he sends us out for. So uh, this morning, we're just going to look at the first two of those principles. I'm doing that because I love you. And I care about you. The choice this week was either one extraordinary long sermon or two long sermons. And I went with the two longer sermons. So we'll handle the, the following three next week. But it does give us a chance to, to think a little bit, to let some things land this week and next week. As we, we kind of wrestle through this a little bit, as you ask, begin maybe to ask some of those questions about, Lord, what, what does this look like in my own life right now in this season? So here's the first principle. Our mission is, at heart, a shared mission. Christian ministry, at its very foundation, is a shared ministry. Verse 7, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, Jesus does really two main things here in verse 7. First, he sends the disciples out. And that word for send there is the, the Greek word apostoleo. That, that's basically where we derive the meaning that, that disciples of Jesus are sent ones. We are sent people. That's where we get that from. So disciples of Jesus are sent out by Jesus. Now in Jewish law, the one who was sent carried the authority of the sender, of the one who sent him. So it's as if the sender himself had come. So that's how these disciples, you can look with me here, have authority 
over the unclean spirits because Jesus, as the sender, gave the sent ones, these disciples, authority uh, for the purpose of mission and ministry. So these disciples, for all of their foibles, and we'll look at some of those next week, but they got this part. They understood that. They understood that they were being sent out as representatives of Jesus, as emissaries of Jesus, of, of ambassadors of the king. And the people then that they would receive them, they would also know that these, these guys come on behalf and on the bequest of Jesus, the king. They were his ambassadors. So if you saw these guys, and again, they're coming in pairs, but if you saw these disciples walking into your town, y you would say, yeah, that, okay, those are, right, those are guys that spent a lot of time with Jesus. Those are friends of Jesus. Wait, those are his apprentices. Those are guys who have who've been learning how to live and how to love. Yeah, they're not here to talk about current events. They're not here to debate the latest in sports or weather. Oh, yeah, they're, they're here to tell us about Jesus. They're here to talk about the king. And it's no different for you and for me. We are sent out, sent people by Jesus, sent into our neighborhoods and sent into homes and businesses and places of employment and warehouses and the YMCA and sent among friends and family and sent, yes, to even our enemies. Sent by Jesus anywhere and everywhere. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been sent out on a mission. In fact, maybe you didn't even realize that, but since the very day of your salvation, Jesus has sent you out in mission, in ministry for him. So you are on a, an earthly, lifelong mission trip that will never end until you actually reach heaven. Now, it doesn't mean you always serve in the same exact spot. It doesn't mean that uh, you're... You, you serve in the exact same ministry, and that it doesn't change. It just means that at one point in your life, Jesus called you. He saved you, and then he sent you out. Jesus saves, and then he sends wherever and, and wherever you go. I think the really encouraging thing about everything that I just said there, the, the fantastically encouraging thing, the good news for all of us as sent ones is that Jesus is still the one leading the mission. Jesus actually knows what he's doing with all of us. I mean, who better to lead us? Who better to lead this earthly mission trip that will never end than the greatest missionary that has ever lived? And in fact, the greatest mission the world has ever known, brothers and sisters, is God the Father sending Jesus, his son, to this earth. And earth was not very hospitable when Jesus arrived. It was filled with sinners and brokenness and suffering everywhere Jesus looked. It wasn't the way that God had originally intended, that, but, it, but God himself in the ministry and mission of Jesus would begin the process then of making all things new. And so the very mission of Jesus on this earth, and Mark loves to tell us this time and time again, was to provide salvation for sinners who did not deserve him to do so. And the only way that Jesus could be faithful 
to his mission, the mission that God had called him to, was to die on a cross. Willingly, voluntarily, sacrificially, the perfect missionary dying for sinners for the sake of the mission to bring us back to God. And one day, the gospel story tells us, one day, and it's going to be a glorious day, King Jesus is coming again to bring us back to himself, to live eternally with him in heaven. Now, you don't need to read 26 books on heaven or listen to 422 different sermons on what heaven will be like to know this. You want to be there. Jesus wants you to be there with him for all eternity. But in order to be there, you must repent of your sins. Turn from your old way of living. Believe. Put your faith, your, your every trust, your every last ounce of faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now between now and then, and by the way, that decision, that needs to be made while you're still on this earth. Otherwise, it's going to be too late. But between now and then, Jesus sends us out on mission for him. He calls us, he saves us, and then he sends us. That's really the biblical pattern. So that's the first thing we see here, that he sends, he sends us out. Here's the second thing we notice in verse 7. Jesus sends out his disciples in teams of two. And that's, again, where we get this idea of shared ministry, in other words. Now, you might just ask the question, like, why would Jesus do that? He's perfect. He's king. He, he knows everything. He sees the beginning and the end and everything in between. Why, why would he do that? Well, for starters, Jesus is obeying the law, having two witnesses met the legal requirements uh, for authentic testimony in a court of law. And I know if you're a lawyer here, you're getting really jazzed up about this. Well, just wait, there's more. Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So the law required at least two witnesses basically to verify a matter. So something of importance, you needed two guys, two people to verify it. That was in keeping with really the cultural norm of the day. Uh, in the first century Jewish mindset, in that context, it actually would have been very odd for Jesus just to send these guys out one at a time, or just to have them scatter all over the place. That would have, in fact, been a barrier to gospel ministry because people, again, in the first century, in matters of law, in matters of the truth, when thinking about these weighty issues of justice, they would absolutely be expecting, if it's important, there's going to be two, at least two, not just one. So this pattern of shared ministry, in this sense, a pattern of two, we actually see that in the New Testament as well. So it's not just something in the Old Testament. In cases of church discipline, 1 Timothy 5 and Matthew 18, two witnesses are needed to bring a charge against another person. I, I think of that incredible scene on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, where, where Jesus is, is transfigured. And, and who's there? 
Well, there are two guys there, Moses and Elijah, and they're, they're seeing, they're, they're giving credible evidence that, in fact, the, of the glory that Jesus had before the incarnation is the same glory that he'll have after. So again, we, we see there's a, there's a shared ministry here. Early church, the book of Acts, it's literally all over the place here. Acts 8, 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, shared. Acts eleven thirty. the apostles are uh, responding to a need of a church in Judea. There's a famine coming, and so they want to collect an offering. And so what do they do? Well, they, they get together all their shekels, and they send them through Barnabas and Saul. Again, two guys, shared ministry. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, you continue to see this, Acts 13, Acts 15, uh, where you have Paul and Barnabas really joining up as a team. And then Timothy joins Paul and Silas. I think you're getting the point here. Christian ministry and mission at its heart is a shared ministry. Now, obviously, there were some very important practical benefits to Jesus sending these guys out, the disciples, in teams of two. It would have been a whole lot safer in that time period than everybody scattering at once. They, they, they could rely on each other for mutual care and for support and for encouragement. And that's no different for us. I think that's actually one of the, the wonderful blessings of local church ministry like ours is that the mutual care and support and encouragement. You, you don't go it alone. At least you're not intended to go at it alone. Ministry and mission in a local church context like ours, brothers and sisters, it's not do the best you can. Hopefully we'll see you next week. No, it's very much shared. It's a partnership where we experience really together joys and sorrows, triumphs and tragedies. We share burdens and blessings. It's never intended to be a one-man or one-woman show or even just a small group of people. Not at all. I was reminded this last week on two separate occasions of just the joy of this kind of shared ministry, how vital it is, how necessary it is for all of us. Uh, we had an elders meeting this last week, and this involved all the elders from among the three churches, our North Church and Central Church. And just at the beginning, I, I just found myself just looking around the room, just praising God for every one of those guys, knowing that we're we're working hard together for the sake of the Gospels. Not just one or two, but there's a group there that God in His grace has provided. And, and just being thankful for that. I mentioned in our members meeting this morning, we had a home group leaders retreat this last week. And that also involved all uh, the three churches. And so there were 75 or 80 of us gathered here Friday night and for a good chunk of the day yesterday. And what a sweet thing to be able to look around at that. And, and even as we think just about our Valley Church here and to know that we have, we have 11 home groups uh, this fall and uh, with the possibility of at least one or two more. And so thankful that as we just think about the ministry of this church, that this is not dependent. Like I know you're all looking at me now, but you, it's not dependent on just me. And, and I'm looking at you thinking, I'm glad it's not dependent on you either. It's not just one or two or a couple or just a small group. But it's much bigger than that. It's much more expansive. In fact, making disciples of all nations and all peoples will necessitate all God's people finding their spot, being engaged, involved, and then sent out. 
Now, hopefully you can agree with what I just said. I think it's biblical. But here's where the rub comes. This is where we bump into this prevailing American mindset that says, you know, yeah, I get it. There's a need. There's always needs. Uh, I'll just go ahead and do it. I'll take care of it. It'll probably be easier. In fact, more will get done. I'll just do it myself. We are prone to think that if we just all do it for ourselves, well, we can get more done. We can cover more ground. Now, I'm not suggesting that every last bit of ministry done in the name of Jesus must be done in teams of two. I'll get to that in just a moment. But I do want us to at least to, to pause long enough to ask the question, are there areas of ministry where we could be sharing it with others, maybe more than we are? So if you're married here this morning, think about this. Where can you as a husband and wife really serve together in ministry? And of course, you're probably thinking nursery, because that's the answer to every question when we think about shared ministry. And maybe it is that, but I want to encourage, especially you married folks, to think not just nursery, but, and we're thankful for our nursery, but not just this is my ministry, this is her ministry, but we don't really have any overlap. But, but what about ministry as, as just a married couple? What might that look like? Where can that be shared? This is for all of us, married or single. Perhaps there's areas of, of hospitality, which on that note, I am I'm so grateful and thankful. Uh, I actually think we, we do a really good job of that. You, we just love being together. And so I hear oftentimes of barbecues here and all that. So Praise God for that. But there, but there may be, those may be areas where, where, where you can bring another person into that. You share that ministry, and then you also share that joy. M maybe this week you're going to pray with somebody in your home group. Wonderful. Why don't you take another brother or sister to do that with you? It very well may be that they're going to learn from you what that might look like, how to do that, how to engage on that level. Perhaps you're checking in with somebody maybe who hasn't been to church for a little while. And the same thing would apply there. What a great opportunity to take another brother or sister. To th the Lord will use that in their life uh, as you share that ministry with them. So, so where can our mission really be shared? Where can you partner up with, with another brother or sister this week in that kind of shared ministry? We're actually going to need to be intentional about that, brothers and sisters, because like I said, uh, that is, is pretty counter-cultural, and it's actually counter to a lot of church culture as well. But in my experience, this kind of shared ministry is so much more sustainable long-term. It actually helps prevent burnout. And it's so much more rewarding and enjoyable in the short term, rather than just trying to go it alone. Because a shared joy is a double joy. The, the shared joy of seeing lives transformed and, and, and sort of the, the spiritual light starting to turn on and the Lord doing a work, boy, that is indeed a shared joy that just gets replicated over and over and over again. You can't really get enough of it. And a shared burden is exactly that. Shared. It actually lightens your load. It brings some measure of comfort by God's grace. So ministry and, and mission, broadly speaking, at its root, brothers and sisters, is 
shared. Here's our second principle. Our mission and ministry depends on God's provision, not our self-sufficiency. Let me say that again. Whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is the Lord calls you to do now and forevermore, our mission and ministry depends on God's provision, not our self-sufficiency. This is verses 8 and 9. This is Jesus. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. I know you all came here this morning wondering, how many tunics again can I wear this week? Please wear one minimum, but not two or three. It's interesting here, isn't it, what Jesus says. I mean, he tells his disciples really what not to take more than he actually tells them what they are supposed to do. He tells them they can take four things on this mission trip. A staff, that's a a stick. It's probably for protection, likely to fend off wild animals. They can wear a belt. They can wear sandals and the aforementioned tunic, which was basically like a cloak. It's like an undergarment. But again, just one. The, The phrase there in the original language is don't take extra, in other words. So you're wearing one, one will be enough. I mean, talk about traveling light. I mean, that would constitute like the bare essentials, wouldn't it? And nothing more. Our God actually has a history of sending his people out with just the bare essentials and perhaps not a lot more. This is actually identical What Jesus says to his disciples here, it's identical to what God told the Hebrews that they could take with them as they are exiting, and the exodus, out of Egypt to the promised land in Exodus 12, 11. So I I don't think it's lost on these Jewish disciples of Jesus here to think, wait a minute, where have I heard that before? I've heard stories about that, how our forefathers, so they're probably starting to make those connections. Beyond that, though, and looking at Jesus and saying, well, he's the greater Moses, He's going to provide an even greater deliverance. So while those, their wheels are turning a little bit, at the very least, they would also understand that this mission is really important. This is, there's an urgency here to what Jesus is doing with us. So what is Jesus intending here? Well, at the very least, and not just at the very least, but just as in the Exodus, These disciples are understanding that if they have little provisions to take, that's going to require a really big faith in God. When you don't have a whole lot, you have to trust God to provide, to meet your need. The challenge for all of us is that we have a lot. And so we don't often think or we're not often aware of our great need. So what's Jesus doing here? What's he intending here? Is, is now in Mark chapter 6, do we have a, you know, breaking news? We have a new paradigm for earthly ministry. Well, there are many things that we can learn from this text, certainly from these verses. The one thing, brothers and sisters, we can't do is to make this a template for every and all earthly ministry. And I actually think that's one of the challenges here. We can grab hold of verses 7 and the verses that come 
through 11 here and say, okay, there we go. Finally, we got a template. This is exactly how we're supposed to do it for any and all ministry. So great. You're a Christian. Good. You're sent out. You want to serve. Awesome. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to find a buddy. Uh, you can't take any food. You can't take a debit card. You can take no change of clothes. Let's sign you up. Where would you like to serve? Many years ago, uh, I was a youth pastor. That was a long time ago. Anyway, I led a group of students with some help. Uh, I think we had about 20 high schoolers from a church in Cincinnati. This was uh, a cross-cultural mission trip. We went to French-speaking Quebec and uh, spent about 12 days there. We served joyfully, mostly. We ate uh, food that we these folks, I guess these kids never ate again, poutine among many other things. Uh, we didn't get a lot of sleep. We came back tired and exhausted. Happy to report we came back with the same number of kids and the same kids. I remember a dad before we left coming to me and saying, you know, if you want to leave my son in a foreign country, I'd be okay with that. And I actually thought he was joking, but he actually wasn't, which was a little bit concerning. But what do you think would have happened if in the preparation for this mission trip, I, you know, in a parents meeting, I gathered the parents around, I said to parents, look, I've been reading a lot in Mark chapter 6 here, and man, Jesus led a mission trip here, and if it's good enough for Jesus, it's going to be good enough for us, so here's the plan. I'm going to take your teenager, we're going to travel 18 hours, we're going to go to a foreign country, they don't speak the language, but here's the really cool part. Your son or daughter is not allowed to take any food, no money. Don't even think about a cell phone or an iPad. No way to get a hold of them. They're not going to need a suitcase. Just whatever the clothes they're wearing, that's all they're going to take. And by the way, we're not exactly sure where we're going to stay. We're going to knock on some doors. Some people will accept us. We could probably stay a day or two there. But actually, when we knock on some doors, a lot of people are going to get ticked, and they're going to try and drive us out of town. If your son or daughter pushes, though, and they want to take one thing, tell them they can take a stick. That's allowed. I mean, that's probably against the law in certain countries, but I would have been fired, I think, probably rightly so. So Jesus here is not giving us a universal template for all Christian ministry everywhere. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them, observing them to obey everything that I have commanded. That mission is broad, isn't it? I mean, that is expansive. That is worldwide in scope. And so exactly what that looks like, well, that is going to look different. The sent ones, the sending out, that's going to look different in different centuries, in different cultures, in different locations. And so here in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is working with Jewish disciples who are all being sent on a specific mission to a very specific people. So Jesus doesn't expect that all mission and ministry in his name is going to be done in exactly the same way. So what's the point here? What's his point in sending these disciples out with hardly anything at all? Truly Christian ministry is truly dependent on Christ. Truly Christian ministry and mission, whatever it is that we do as a church, whatever we will do as a church, whatever it is that he has called you to do day in and day out in service to your king, it's truly dependent on Christ. That's our mission as sent people. We are actually dependent on God to provide whatever it is that we will need at exactly when we need it. What that means then is we're not trusting our own gifts, 
however good they may be. We're not trusting our abilities. We're not trusting in our wealth. We're not ultimately putting trust in our planning or really good mission statements or vision statements, however good and helpful these things can be. We're not to rely on past successes either or some personality traits. We're sent out, and we must trust in God to provide everything that we'll need. Yes, the very practical provisions, but even more, brothers and sisters, we're trusting God for spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. Why do we need spiritual strength for this earthly mission trip? Because we're weak. And it's hard. And we get weary and exhausted. And we wonder if it really matters. And we want to quit. And we want to give up. Maybe those are, maybe that is your diary. Maybe you are there this morning. Just weary, tired, exhausted, and frankly, this all this talk about being sent out. You're like, man, I, I was really hoping for something different this morning. I hope you come back next week. But I get it. And I just want you to know that Jesus gets it. He knows weariness and exhaustion and on a level that we never will. So he can sympathize and he can help. And so it, when we get to, to that point, you know, what, what can we do? Well, our movement is to say, Lord, this, here's my need. You know my need, and so I'm going to turn to you. We're, we're absolutely dependent, brothers and sisters, on the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's anything good that happens in this place, if there's anything good, pleasing fruit in your life, in my life, and collectively and individually, that is because God is good and gracious. Amen? So we have to learn to trust Jesus, our leader, perhaps trust him way more than we do. He's the one who sends us out. He meets us in our many, many areas of need. You know what that does? That puts Jesus and us in the right position. He's the king. He's the leader. He sends us out. He knows exactly what we need before we even ask him. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't miscalculate. He's perfect. Jesus is, if you're a sent one this morning, Jesus, you want Jesus to be your sender. You want Jesus to be your mission trip leader. And it makes us in that wonderful but hard position of being absolutely dependent on him and remaining dependent on him for whatever it is that he calls us to. Sometimes we get this idea that, uh, I think it's true just uh, as we think about our own lives, but, but as you think about serving and ministering and mission, we get this idea that, you know, the, the, the really mature spiritually mature among us. I mean, we might look at those people and they think, man, that's, you know, they, they can probably go it alone. They've got gifts to do that. They always seem to know what to do and when to do it. That doesn't seem to be me, so maybe I don't qualify to be sent out. And the truth is, I mean, whatever it is that the Lord calls you to do, whatever it is we do as a church, ministry and mission always must be tethered to the power and provision of Christ. Otherwise, it's just not a ministry that he's going to bless. 
And so the more spiritually mature that you are, and I know we're, we're all seeking to grow in spiritual maturity, the more spiritually, spiritually mature we are, the more we grow to know Jesus and to love Jesus, the more we're going to be dependent on him, not less. I'm reminded of Hudson Taylor. Many of you probably know of him, missionary to China in the uh, mid-1800s. He knew a thing or two about being sent out. He also knew a thing or two about being absolutely dependent on God to provide his every need. I remember growing up in the Baptist church I did that we had one of his quotes on our bulletin for, it seemed like, for many, many years. And sometimes I would just, like, read that and underline it and, you know, do tic-tac-toe around it or whatever. But, but all these years later, it's still stuck in one of Hudson Taylor's quotes, God's work done in God's way shall never lack God's supply. Isn't that good? God's work, making disciples of all people, done in God's way, not our way, not our timing. But God's work done in God's way shall never lack God's supply, never lack his provision and his power. And that's God's way from the very beginning, brothers and sisters, to send us out in absolute dependence on him. Sometimes, though, we need to learn that the hard way. Sometimes we do learn that the hard way, but even then, even when we stumble and we fall and we forget and we're weak, God is so good and kind and gracious. He doesn't just say, well, I'm moving on to somebody else who can get it right. No, he, he stays committed. He gives us his grace as we turn to him in our need. We looked at two principles this morning. Our mission at its root is a shared mission, shared ministry. And our mission depends on God's provision, not our self-sufficiency. We'll look at the remaining three principles next week. But I wonder if perhaps maybe this has spurred a few questions. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're still trying to figure out, is Jesus a wingnut? Or can I really trust him? with my life. Is he who he said he was? And did he do what the Bible affirms and confesses that he did? And if that's you this morning, just as a friend, can I just say, before you even think about being sent out and where you might want to serve and all of that, first you need to be saved. Jesus desires a relationship with you. And maybe you came in here this morning not having any real idea of why you're here. Well, he knows why you're here. Today can be the day of your salvation. I would pray that it would be. That if you don't know Jesus today, that, that you would. And we would love to introduce you about him and to tell you more about him. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for many years and you have questions about where Jesus has sent you where he might want to send you, or maybe in your life, the, the real challenge this morning is how to find more joy in the place that he actually has sent you and called you to serve. Well, you're not alone. We're going to look to Christ for that, for our help, to grow in that faithfulness, to grow in trusting Jesus that he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake with you or with any of us. Oftentimes I find myself praying prayers like this. They tend to be very simple prayers because I am a very simple man. Lord, I can't, but you will. Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. 
Lord, I'm need, so you're my king. You might try that out this week as you think about where it is and what it is that the Lord might have for you. Let's pray.